The scripture readings from Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were the Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them, before them all, saying, I do not know you, do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said, Those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know this man. And a little, and a little later, those who stood by came, came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of, uh, the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for the reading today, and thank you for being with us. I'm always very happy that we are able to be together and very grateful for the presence of everyone. And if you're visiting with us, we're so happy that you're with us and grateful for your presence, and I hope that you'll stay long enough for us to become better acquainted. We're very grateful for you, and we want the very best for you spiritually. Uh, you know, the, there are a number of tragedies in life that come our way. And we can list them. There's the loss of a loved one that immediately comes to mind. It's a great tragedy of life. Life has a lot of tragedies. There's financial calamity. That can take place in our life. There's disease or illness. That can take place. But are these the greatest tragedy? When you go to the Bible, the Bible articulates for us what the greatest tragedy in life really is. And I want to do that today. I want to study with you from the pages of the Bible what is the greatest tragedy. Now, we've just read from Matthew chapter 26 a great tragedy. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. That was a great tragedy. Not only a great tragedy which was committed there, it was a great sin which Peter had committed. When he denied knowing the Lord, Jesus said that he would do that, and he in a very proudful way said, I'll never do that. These others may deny you, but I'll never deny you. But he did, and it was a terrible tragedy. I'd like to talk today about what the greatest tragedy is. And I'd like to let the Bible answer that for me. Before I actually tell you what the greatest tragedy is, I'd like to talk about some of the things that are not the greatest tragedy. You may think that they are, but they're not. And if we happen to go through them, we may think ourselves, this is a, the greatest tragedy that I can face. But as we're going to learn from the Bible, it's not the greatest tragedy that anyone can face. So by learning what is not the greatest tragedy then I can surely come to understand what the Bible says is the greatest tragedy that I can face in life. And look how well I'll be prepared for life if I can prepare myself to avoid the greatest tragedy that anyone can face. One might think that the greatest tragedy is the loss of material possessions. 
And the loss of wealth and the loss of material possessions is a great tragedy. In Luke chapter 9, verse 58, there's a statement that Jesus made about himself. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was very poor, and he lived under very meager circumstances. But that wasn't a great tragedy. We might think, well, that would be a great tragedy if I lost everything that I had. And it would be a tragedy, but it wouldn't be the greatest tragedy. Sometimes we think of our physical possessions as the most important thing in life. But if we lost all of them, it wouldn't be the greatest tragedy that we could face. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, a rather interesting statement I think that we need to come to grips with. Philippians 4 and verse 11. Not that I am speaking in being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And what he means by that is, He'd received financial means by the church at Philippi. He's in prison in Rome. This is what we've come to call one of the prison epistles. And they have sent some financial help for him, and he needed it. But he said, I'm not writing to you because of my need, because I have learned that whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be satisfied. I've learned to be content. I have had times when I am very low. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. There are times when he faced great need. There were times when he had abundance. He said, whenever it is or whatever it is, I can face that. Whatever I have or whatever I don't have, I know how to be content. And I think that's a wonderful statement that that inspired man makes and It's a wonderful lesson for us. Even if I lost everything that I had, it would be a great tragedy, but it's not the greatest tragedy. Paul said, I lived in situations where I was very poor and had nothing. There wasn't anything wrong in that. The poverty that he faced was something that was very common in ancient times. You turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He talks about the church at Corinth. And there's an amazing statement about that with regard to their material possessions. He's raising funds for suffering saints in Jerusalem. To encourage them, he gives us 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We want you to know, brothers, verse 1, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They were poor, afflicted, but yet they found the means somehow to give to others. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." They were very poor, but yet they begged for the opportunity. We want to help out in that. We want to give as we can. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now I've read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I read verses 1 through 5, and I look at people who were very poor in ancient times. And it's a tragedy to be poor. But even though they were very poor, they weren't as poor as those who were facing poverty in Jerusalem. And they gave of their means to help those poor people out. 
But it's clear in the eyes of Jesus that poverty is not the greatest tragedy. It'd be a great tragedy for us to lose everything. Let's say our nation lost everything. We go through a terrible depression. It'd be a tragedy. But it's not the greatest tragedy that an individual can face. Well, perhaps the greatest tragedy that we could face is disease. You know, it could be that I face a terrible disease, that it's a chronic type of disease. It continues to plague me over and over again. That would be a tragedy. Maybe I would lose some of my physical features. Maybe I would lose some of my abilities. Perhaps the loss of sight. That would be a tragedy. Or the loss of my ability to speak or the ability to hear. It'd be a tragedy to lose one of these faculties like that. It'd be a great tragedy. But is it the greatest tragedy? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked about an affliction that he faced. It was chronic. It was always with him, it ne- always dogging him. It never would let up. He says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I prayed with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. It's an amazing passage that comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through verse 10. And he makes it very clear, even though I face a chronic problem physically that dogs me all the time, it harasses me. And I prayed to God, relieve me from this. But God would say, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's a tragedy to face a reversal like that, but it's not the greatest tragedy. It's a great tragedy to lose a physical ability. One occasion, the devil came to the Lord and said, You see a guy down there, his name's Job. I'll get things so tough on him that you'll see he'll curse you to your face. And Satan went and took his children away from him and took all of his wealth away from him. Boils and sores come upon Job. There in turn, he's left on the ash heap. And Job, facing the affliction of the devil himself, would not recant, would not curse God. Even though his own wife came to him and said, God surely must hate you, curse him and die. But God would not, Job would not. He said, Are you speak as a foolish woman? Shall we take the good from the hand of God and not take the bad? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job chapter 13 and verse 15. Physical suffering is a tragedy, but it's not the greatest tragedy. Reversals of life with regard to our health are difficult to face. And they're hard to endure, but it's not the greatest tragedy that we can face. Well, what would be the greatest tragedy? Maybe imprisonment. If I were cast in prison for some wrong committed with regard to another, or as a criminal of the state, maybe to be in that low level and quality of life, maybe that would be the greatest tragedy that I would ever face. But that's not the greatest tragedy. The Apostle Paul, working his way back to the city of Jerusalem, a prophet named Agabus comes up to him 
And they're all there. It's a very tearful scene. And he takes Paul's belt and he wraps himself up in it. And he says, the Lord has told me that the owner of this belt is going to be bound by the Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And all of the friends and all of the Christians that are there are begging Paul, don't go, don't go, because you're going to face incarceration. And Paul says in Acts 21 and 13, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And it was a great tragedy that he faced. For him to be incarcerated that he was so unjustly, Yet at the same time, he viewed it clearly. That's not the greatest tragedy that an individual can face. In fact, and that very uh, Roman imprisonment that I spoke of a moment ago. You see him writing the book of Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, he gives us Philippians chapter 4, a passage I thought a lot about and you should think a lot about. In the confines of prison, Paul makes this statement. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And this is a wonderful verse. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I've read for you Philippians 4. The verse is verses 4 through 7. And it talks about a great tragedy that a man is facing. But he's saying, even though I face this great tragedy, it's not the greatest tragedy that a person can face. Well, let your hearts be filled with joy, and don't worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God incarcerated, just like Agabus said it would happen. Paul went ahead, was imprisoned for a number of years. Not a great, the greatest tragedy that he could face. Certainly was a tragedy to put this innocent man of God in such a situation for the preaching of the cause of Christ. Someone wants to say, well, I know what the greatest tragedy is. The greatest tragedy is the loss of a loved one. And it is a great tragedy. The loss of a loved one, a family member, comes as a shocking thing to us. It's hard for us to understand, and it's hard for us to deal with. Job lost all of his children in one day, ten funerals at one time. There Job had to deal with that kind of tragedy. But it's not the greatest tragedy that an individual can face. Physical illness is a terrible thing. It certainly will cause us to be downcast. The loss of loved ones, difficult to face. What causes our countenance to be very low. But it's not the greatest tragedy that we can face. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, you have a very powerful passage in verse 10. You ought to mark it in your Bible. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Now, the point about being faithful unto death simply is this. Be faithful even though you face death. It's not meaning necessarily be faithful all the days of your life, though the Bible teaches that. The passage is saying you be faithful even though you face death itself. You still be faithful. 
and you'll be given a crown of life. Even though a family member passes from this life, even though we may pass from this life, it wouldn't be the greatest tragedy. Well, you're perhaps thinking in your mind, well, I understand now what the greatest tragedy is. The greatest tragedy is sin. And sin is a great tragedy. If it's not poverty, if it's not disease, if it's not imprisonment or the loss of a loved one, surely the greatest tragedy in our lives must be the problem of sin. And it is a great tragedy, but it's not the greatest tragedy that an individual can face. Sin's a tragedy, all right. Every evil word, every evil thought, every evil act is a tragedy, a travesty against God. Every thought that we have, foreign to the will and divine mind of God, is sin and is a terrible tragedy. But it's not the greatest tragedy. Some sins are heinous indeed. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, you have the story of a man named David and Bathsheba. And here David takes Bathsheba, is involved in the sin of adultery. Was that a great tragedy? Yes, it was. It was a terrible tragedy. But then you go and you read about that situation in the book of Psalm 51, and you see something of the great tragedy which the man faced. You go over into the New Testament, and you look at John chapter 8, and there's a woman caught in adultery. And these Jewish rabbis are bringing her before the Lord to test the Lord and to challenge the Lord and to see what the Lord will say about this particular matter. And they're saying, well, the law says she's to be stoned. Jesus turned around and wrote something in the sand. The scripture doesn't tell us what he actually wrote. But in that instance, he says to the crowd, who is sinless? Let him cast the first stone. And one by one, those wicked men walked away from that situation. And Jesus turned to that woman. He said, now go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? They've all gone. Go and sin no more. It's a tragedy. The sin is there, and it's a tragic thing. But it's not something that we can't get over. Just as David could get forgiveness of sin, so could that woman get forgiveness of sin in John chapter 8. It's a tragedy, but it's not the greatest tragedy that a person will ever face. Well, let's say maybe lying. Lying's a terrible sin. You know, some people just rather tell a lie than tell the truth. I don't understand the matter myself. Maybe they just get into the habit of wanting to lie. And they lie. And they look at you straight in the face and they lie. And it's hard for me to understand that. I would think that people who put one hand on the Bible and put another hand up in court and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that they would tell the truth. But I found out they'll lie their tongues right out of their mouth. Some people will lie. And they would rather lie than tell the truth. Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, to Pharaoh. But yet, as bad as that was, Paul says he's a father of the faithful, Romans chapter 4, going on into chapter 5. And he uses him as an example of justified by an obedient faith. Wasn't it a terrible thing that David did, lying with regard to the matter of Bathsheba? It was a terrible thing. Maybe murder. Murder is the greatest sin perhaps that could be committed. Maybe that's the greatest tragedy. Well, look what David did. David took her husband, Uriah, the husband of the woman he consorted with, put him on the hottest front of the battle deliberately to murder him and to kill him. But yet David could get forgiveness of the lying. Abraham could get forgiveness of lying. David could get forgiveness of the terrible sin of murder as heinous as that was. 
person can get forgiveness from sin. Sin's not the greatest tragedy. Well, maybe denying the Christ. Maybe that's got to be the greatest sin and the greatest tragedy. As you see in Matthew chapter 26, Peter involved himself in that sin. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystander, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystander came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. To deny the Lord was a terrible tragedy. But Peter wasn't the only one. Look at what happened on that occasion. Matthew chapter 26. They come and take Jesus and they seize him. But it tells us in verse 56, But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophecies might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. They all deserted. Peter was one who vocally denied I never knew the man, but when the chips were down and the going got tough, they all deserted him. He was betrayed by Judas. That must be a terrible sin. And it is in Matthew chapter 26. Notice what it says of the man. It's about verse 14. What Judas did was a terrible thing. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. What a terrible sin. What a terrible sin. Not only to deny the Lord, but to contract by means of money in order to betray him. Verse 20, When it was evening... He reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, verse 25, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. What a sin. Judas was no doubt there when Jesus said, He that confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But he that denieth me before men, him will I also deny before my heavenly Father. That's Matthew 10, 32 and 33. He heard that. Now Judas has done it. Peter has done it. All the apostles have fled. And they have betrayed the Lord. And as sad as that scene is, and as tragic as that sin is, that's not the greatest tragedy that a person can face. And I'll spend a few moments of time explaining to you why I say that. What is the greatest tragedy? 
To understand that, we're going to have to understand more about these two lives. I want to understand a little bit more about Judas, and I want to understand a little bit more about Peter. Both of these men were apostles of Christ. Both of these men were good men initially. Judas was not always bad. Judas became a bad man. He allowed Satan to enter into his heart and to influence him. And so I've got to ask the question, what happened? What did he do? Judas, as he goes along with the band, turns more and more toward an evil side and an evil bend. He criticizes good things and good people. People who want to do good things for the Lord, he criticizes them. He takes from the bag. He's such a well-trusted part of the apostles that they give him the bag. It's a sort of fund that they have, meager funds, but as they need food or they need this or that or they have funds in the bag and he's the keeper of the bag. And John tells us that he's pilfering out of the bag. He's embezzling from the bag. Then he sells out altogether in order to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. He actually conspires with the enemy to betray the Lord. And so he's filled with a great deal of sin and he's filled with a great deal of tragedy. But then there's Peter. What did Peter do? Well, Peter was a person who was often engaged in bragging about himself. He's the one who said, Now, Lord, all these other guys, they may betray you, but I will never do it. I'll never betray you. He was the kind who really thought highly of himself. He actually denied the Lord. He's a person that would forsake the Lord like the rest of the apostles did. So he's gone. Judas is gone. What did these men do? Both of them left the Lord. Both of them betrayed Both of them forsook him. But what is the difference between the two? Was Peter, was Judas involved in the greatest tragedy that could befall a human being? And the answer to that is no. Neither one of them was involved in the greatest tragedy that has ever been or could ever be produced or committed by an individual. The greatest tragedy has not been mentioned yet even though they were involved in a terrible situation. Peter actually sees the Lord coming out, bound by his hands, headed for Pilate. There he looks into those eyes of nothing but purity, who knew no sin or ever would know sin. And when he looked in those pure, perfect eyes, he goes out and he weeps, and he weeps bitterly. Judas goes out, betraying the Lord, conspiring with evil men. What is the difference between Judas and Peter? There's a Bible passage here that we need to study with regard to Judas, and I need a minute to talk about it. Bear with me now, because I'll have to go into some of the intricacies of this language in order to understand it better. In Matthew 27 and verse 3, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. This is a cold-hearted bunch he's dealing with. You said, you do this, you did it, we paid you for it, that's the end of it. We don't want to have anything to do with this blood money. 
If you're reading out of the King James Version or an older translation, this is the English Standard Version. It phrases it, he changed his mind. I have a little problem with the way they translate this particular passage. King James translates it, repent, and that doesn't really get at it either. Let me talk a little bit about the original language for a moment, just to help us work through this problem of what Judas did and what he did not do. Did Judas actually repent? The Greek word here is matamelomai. It is a word which means to regret. And this is the word that's found for us in this passage in verse 3. I'm working on Matthew 27, and I'm working at verse 3, and I'm working on this phrase, he changed his mind. That does not mean he actually repented of his sin. He regretted it. It didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And he regretted doing it, and he took the 30 pieces of silver, and he carried it back, and he threw it down on the temple floor. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. They won't have anything to do with him. You've committed the act, and that's the end of it. But it doesn't really change his heart. He doesn't really change his mind. And he doesn't really change his behavior. Now, you and I know of another verse. We're very familiar with it. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the Bible talks once again about repentance. But it's a different word in verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there the word repent is used, but it's a different word. Matano eo. Now matano eo, repentance, means I'm changing the way I see things. I think about things. The way I do things. Peter is telling them, you need to change your heart and to change your mind, and to change your life. And you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. When you change your disposition, and you change your behavior, and you're baptized in water for the remission of sins, you'll get that, you'll get the remission of sins, you'll get forgiveness. You need to do both. The and is joining these two independent clauses. One is just as important as the other. The repentance is just as important as the baptism. The baptism is just as important as the repentance. But it's a different kind of repentance. It's a repentance in Acts 2.38 that means I'm changing my life. I'm changing my heart. I'm changing the way I live. Judas didn't do that. Metamelamai. Judas said, I'm sorry the way this turned out. This did not go the way I wanted it to go. Did he really change his life And the answer is, no, he did not. He regretted it. He's sorry he got caught. But it didn't change anything. He goes out and hangs himself. Peter comes back to the Lord. Peter in Acts chapter 2 is preaching on the day of Pentecost. By hands of lawless men you've crucified and slain the Son of God. And he's telling them of the sin which they've committed. He's come back. He's repented. He's changed his life. And he's devoting his life to the cause of Christ and the will of the gospel of Christ and for the church of Jesus Christ. He's repenting. 
Did both fall away from the Lord? Yes, they did. But only one came back. The greatest tragedy that can befall your life is for you to stay away from Jesus Christ and never come to Him. The greatest tragedy you can face is not sin. But the greatest tragedy you can face is falling away from the Christ and never repenting of the sin. Going out and, in a sense, hanging yourself and dying in a sinful state. That's the greatest tragedy anybody will ever face. And that's why I've got to think about it. I want to think about this. I want to think about which path I'm on. Am I on the path of Peter or I'm on the path of Judas? I could go out here and hang myself by means of negligence. Well, I always thought I would obey the gospel someday, but I just never really got around to it. Are you going to hang yourself with that? And face the greatest tragedy that you can face like Judas did? Well, I know that I need to do this. I know that. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to come around to doing this one day. Well, how do you know you'll ever have another day? How could you ever possibly know you're going to have another minute? As short as life is and as uncertain as life is, how could we ever know that we'll have another day or we'll have another opportunity? You'd never know whether you had another hour to live or another day or week or month or year or a decade. How'd you ever know you'd have that? You don't know that. You don't know how long you're going to live. Life is very uncertain and life is very short and you don't know how long you're going to live. Are you going to hang yourself with negligence, procrastination, and face the greatest tragedy anybody can ever face? You're going to hang yourself with indifference? Judas hung himself. You know what Judas should have done? Judas should have gone back to the Lord, got down on his knees and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And Jesus would have forgiven him. And he wouldn't have to face the sin before God in judgment. Peter did. Judas should have. The question now is, which path am I on? Am I on Peter's path, whereby I see my need to beg for the mercy of the Lord and ask for his forgiveness? Or am I going to be on the path of Judas, where I, through indifference, say, well, you know, it really doesn't mean that much to me. I know it's important. I know it's a good thing. I, uh, I want this for my family, and I want this for my wife, and I want this for my husband. But it's not that big a deal for me. It's not that important for me. Indifference. Are you going to hang yourself with that? And face the greatest tragedy that you can possibly face? What's your path going to be? To live like Judas and die like Judas? Say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't do better. But never repent. Or are you going to be like Peter? Lovingly obey Jesus and become the faithful child of God that God wants you to be and that you can be. And avoid the greatest tragedy that a person can face. 
by first obeying the gospel of Christ, repenting of sin, confessing faith in Christ, being baptized into Christ as the Bible teaches, being added to the Lord's New Testament church, being a faithful Christian. Or, if you need to, repent of the indifference, the neglect. Say, I want to be a faithful child of God again. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I want to be faithful once again. And avoid the greatest tragedy a person can face. I hope you'll do it. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.